This is Tell Me Something Good About Retail with Bob Fibbs, The Retail Doctor, sponsored by CoreLogic. The idea that all of the best ideas come from the store is 100% true. And that they will give you all the feedback you need to know about product, about culture, about training, about everything you need to know comes from the largest population. Welcome to Tell Me Something Good About Retail with your host, Bob Fibbs, the champion for a more human connection in retail for over 30 years as a retail doctor. Bob is the authority on brick-and-mortar retail across the world, who works with some of the biggest luxury brands to independent retailers of all sizes. Today, I get the opportunity to talk with Ron Thurston. He's led the retail teams for some of America's most prominent brands, including Gap, Apple, and Intermix. From a part-time sales associate to a vice president of stores, Ron has put in the hard work that a retail career requires and wrote this book, Retail Pride, to share what he learned along the way. In 2021, he was named one of the world's top 100 most influential people in retail and is a featured keynote speaker, podcast guest, an in-demand industry expert, and I've wanted to speak to him forever. He most recently led the retail organization for Intermix, sits on the board of directors for Goodwill, New York, New Jersey, and is advisory board member and mentor for several retail technology brands. Welcome, Ron. Thank you, Bob. I'm really- Did I get that all out? You got it all in. I feel like this is long overdue, this conversation. It is, my friend. Because I love everything you do, and I'm anxious to talk about it. Oh, well, keep saying keep saying those things. <laughs> oh, no, all right. So you graduated from FITM in Los Angeles, is that correct? That's, that's correct. And I actually just joined their advisory board like decades later. Wow. Now, that's not the same as being a VP of stores. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey? I would love to. And so I'm from Northern California. I'm from Lake Tahoe. And I grew up in a family of construction. And the idea of kind of working construction was not exactly my kind of path forward. But FITM was really the idea of being relatively close to home. I started in San Francisco and moved to LA. And it was really that place where I could deep dive into this industry that I knew I wanted to be in. I didn't know if I wanted to be a fashion designer, a buyer, planning, retail leader. I had no idea what I wanted to do. But I all I knew is that I wanted to be in this industry. And FITM was a good place to at least understand how it all works and, and what the potential career paths were. And you know, schools like that are the professors and teachers are people from the industry. And that was very inspiring to me. You know, I want to be that. I'd like to grow my career this way. I um, mean, it was a good place for me to start. And and then you go and become part of the May Company, which I, I'm from Los Angeles. So, you know, I yeah. started the Broadway department store, right? Yep. Because yep. those stores had amazing training, right? They looked at a path. They gave you a path in retail. Wouldn't you agree? Yep. I would 100% agree. And that that's why I joined them. So I did have kind of a several year career on the design side. But Broadway was the place. Broadway would say, we're going to let you work in the buying office. We're going to have you lead stores. We're going to have you work in planning. We're going to teach you what running retail is. And I loved every bit of it and very quickly gravitated to the, to the floor. And, and they, I, I remember clearly I was the department manager of a Levi's shop and shop in, this was in Century City in LA. And so I, you know, 
and I had worked part-time at the Gap for you know, when I was growing up. So like folding jeans, I think it's just in my DNA. So here's, you know, 50 feet of denim wall where I could practice my expertise of denim folding. And then it's like, well, it looks like you have pretty good visual merchandising. We're going to give you juniors, which was the next department over. And then we're going to give you the whole men's floor because you seem to know what you're doing. And it was a great training ground for me. Well, I love that. And your book, uh, Retail Pride, you tell people to celebrate your accidental retail career. That's what most of us did, right? Most of us, our part-time job became a career. Yep. And that really was, it resonated with me because of all the conversations I've had through in decades of store visits and interviews and store openings. Very often, someone will say, you know, I've, I've studied this. I studied psychology, pharmacy. You know, the list goes on and I love working in retail and it was very accidental. And that seems to be the most common response to this industry. And I think for a a long time, you know, I I kind of found it just humorous of like, oh, yeah, we're all we all think about this as accidental. But as I I think got further into my career, I realized that 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 accidental career requires more intention and thought and planning of what you want to do and how you're going to get there. And I think as we talk about sales teams and we talk about growing your career, because you may have done this by accident, you have to be more thoughtful about what's next. And the brands that you work for and the companies that have great training, like the Broadway where we started and like... those brands are, they still exist, but you have to be more planful. And to the intention behind saying, we're going to celebrate your accidental career, but let's stop calling it something funny. And let's actually put some intention behind it and say, yeah, it might have been accidental, but I love it. And here's what I'm going to do about it. I think it's a new like paradigm shift for our industry. That is what's going to create the future. Well, I think the future is going to be less retail stores, but they're going to elevate the retail associate to being someone who really is capable of engaging a human being, which that's where the money goes. It always has been. And I've said frequently, you know, I know many people in retail making over a hundred grand a year and they're thrilled with it, but someone touched them along the way in a good way that didn't come off well to inspire them to say, Hey, you're good at this. And then to bring them those opportunities, right? Because I think brick and mortar is under siege right now. Let's be honest, the digital natives have ongoing campaigns to say it's dead. The department store's dead. No one's buying anything. And yet you go to shopping malls and they're busy. And uh, it seems that a lot of people suddenly woke up to the idea that people are important. Would you agree? I would absolutely agree. And that's where you you think about you know, those of us that have been doing this a long time, what are the kind of that next generations of retail leaders? Because the, the industry actually is one that will require the best version of what we have always done. Because You're right, because if the industry is smaller, it's more intentional, it's more experiential, however the, the buzzwords you want to use, requires exceptional talent. And that exceptional talent doesn't just show up at your front door. That it doesn't. They is, just put out the now hiring sign, and and instantly they're trained and and everything. No, it's yeah, it it's a miracle, but that's not actually true. Yeah, and the idea of what do we need to do as as companies, as brands, as an industry to say 
we know that this is an exceptional path, that, but it needs to be paid, compensated correctly. Training and development needs to happen at all levels. Leaders do need to identify that talent. I reference it myself. Of like, I was tapped on the shoulder numerous times to say, it looks like you could do more. It look, let's give you the stretch assignment. Let's give you something that you've never done before. When I was, um, so I spent about 10 years at The Gap, which was right after the Broadway. And I was, you know, same store manager to general manager to district manager. And I had a visual merchandising skill, I think, because I had been a designer and I became a regional visual. And within months, I had 450 stores and I had no idea what to do. Zero. But they're like, you can get, you can figure it out, Ron, but, you know, just go. And I'm like, okay. And, well, let's and, just and unpack I'm, that for a second, because that's an awful lot of trust that you earned. That wasn't, that wasn't kismet. You, you were rewarded because they absolutely saw something, even though they didn't prepare you for it, right? They didn't prepare me, but it, then it helped me become a better, larger scale multi-store leader. And I, visual merchandising was not where I wanted to spend my career because I love leading teams and that's, a, it's a different career path. And so, yes, they trusted in me, but I think that trust is very empowering to people growing up in this industry that would say your success is deemed based on the work that you put into it and not because of a specific degree that you have or the companies you work for. And that is a new way to think about it. I was like, it is actually our responsibility. Anyone that has a leadership role in a, in a retail organization, it becomes your responsibility to bring people along, not it's not just part of the competencies or part of like check off or I have a succession plan. We owe that back to the industry to do that for people that did it for us. And I believe very strongly in that. And I believe strongly that to exactly what you speak about every day, if you're not being trained and not being invested in, you're working for the wrong company. And to stand up for yourself and say, I love what I do. I love this industry, but I'm going to find a place that's going to celebrate me and the work that I do and invest in me. And that is also not a message I think that's really ever been said of like, stop putting up with this nonsense and being underpaid and go work for a brand that does the right thing. And that's the place we're in today as an industry. I think that's the quickest way to get a great employee to quit is by not treating people fairly and not recognizing talent and letting people get away with stuff. And, you know, a, a long time ago, I wrote a blog about basically, is it a will or a skill issue in retail when when employees don't do what you train? And it was basically saying, you know, bring the best of you to a store. Well, I got on this website, which I would love to put out here, but it's about uh, retail not being good. We'll just put it that way, where people go and talk about how it sucks to work in retail. And they flame me and they went on and on. And I just found myself thinking like, so all that time you're here sharing how awful it is to be you could be spent doing, I don't know, anything else, but that culture is allowed to grow. So you must have had experience with that, Ron. I mean, you took over a store, an area, a region, whatever. And let's be honest, there are a few characters that that have power over others that don't use it responsibly. So what would be some advice that you would have or a time that you could uh, share with us what it looked like and then take us into how you got on the other side? 
Yeah, thank you. I'd love to. I, I'll give you a couple different examples. Even most recently at, at Intermix, one thing that I am particularly proud of, you know, as I left there this summer after three and a half years, is that I had this exact same field leadership team, district managers, the same like visual merchandising team, the same corporate team, store ops, LP, HR, everything that supported our success as a retail organization. From the minute I walked in, it was the exact same team. And that is an unusual path to take forward. And my point was, and their business had been very tough. They had numerous heads of stores. Um, There was a lot of dysfunction and chaos and a lot of kind of, I'd say an unhealthy entrepreneurial spirit of like, well, this is my store. This is how we're going to do it here. And I take the point of view of we're, we're going to discover the best way to do it. And then we're all going to do this and we're going to do this together and we're going to move forward and we're going to celebrate success. And we are going to find the best people that are doing work in stores and celebrate them. And what I'm most proud of is that that didn't require changing people that required changing the attitude and the leadership and say, we're going to create something great here. I want you to join me. And that is a different point of view than I think someone that may come in and say, the store has been underperforming. There's a lot of bad attitude. Let's bring in some new talent and try to refresh this. Yeah, that was my MO for many years. But yeah. I don't, luckily, I'm not that type of guy that I used to be. But it yeah. takes a while to convince people, doesn't it? And and people who are essentially giving you the finger when you walk out the door, it's hard to be yourself without feeling like in some ways you're begging them to to follow you, right? So how do you take us into that? I mean, yeah, that's a tall order by any stretch of the imagination. It is, but it was also my choice. No one told me that I needed to do that. But I knew that the, the way that you maintain momentum and, and change the trajectory is by motivating an existing group of people who are talented and maybe not well-led in the past. And I actually found it a personal challenge of saying, we're going to do this, but we're going to do this together, and all of you are going to join me. And you know, that means I spend a lot of time in stores. I, I spend half my time traveling the country and having conversations with people in stores and talking about training and developing the best in class tools and product assortments, you create culture. But I've also been on the flip side where my first 90 days of of brands and probably rather not say, but I recognized that they actually were the wrong people, that they weren't, they were hired with the wrong intent for different reasons. And I did have to change the people. And that that can also be successful, but it's, I think it's sometimes painful to say, I recognize that you were hired for this job, but you're unskilled and you can't do it. And I'm, I need to find someone you know that can. You run a any retail business, whether it's a million dollar store or a $50 million store, the responsibility sits squarely on store manager, general manager, store director, whatever title that is, and you run a multi-million dollar business. And you need to be able to come into it with the skill that would say, I have the experience and the willingness and the energy and the drive and the passion to run a multi-million dollar business. And sometimes that doesn't always exist. But I love this journey. But 
let's face it, you know, there was a time that retail employees needed a job, right? So they got out of high school, they wanted to get a job, they're part-time in college. Um, you know, I know when I turned 18, I was getting the hell out of my house and I mm-hmm. lived with leftover furniture and a I knew it was a bad neighborhood when they were. I woke up one morning and they were filming Hill Street Blues in my neighborhood because it was just like, <laughs> oh, we got to look like a really urban gritty scene in Long Beach, actually. Oh, wow. But, you know, that's not necessarily the case now because a lot of employees could be living at home, right, up until the, in their 30s. So that drive of saying, if you make more, you know, if you do better, I'll reward you with money. It, it, it doesn't seem to be holding, especially as we notice how, notice how everyone stopped talking about the minimum wage. We got to raise the minimum wage. Like it's effectively been raised, kids. It's fifteen to sixteen dollars an hour just for entry stakes. So, what yeah. else is it? Because I think retail has always been a game of being brilliant on the basics, and I don't think people have changed. But I think what we use to motivate them may have changed. What do you think of that? Mm-hmm. I agree with you because the idea of of the career trajectory then. If I'm a fantastic store manager, it requires a great district manager, regional manager to recognize that talent. And I think every every kind of journey of the roles that people play, you know, great district managers do think it to be their responsibility to bring their team along and to grow their everyone around them and motivate them. And I don't think it's inherently a skill that everyone in that role has, but those that are most successful at it, do it. And I guess that to answer your question, I think it's always been, you're right, it's always been part of this industry. But I think today, you can't ignore it as a nice to do. And to say, it is, it is absolutely your responsibility to grow the infrastructure and the talent on your team at every level. And that because the future is very much what's happening from stores. No, I agree. And authenticity is a big part of your book. How can you have honest conversations in person when so much of our lives is done via text or social media? Yeah, I would. So I was on stage last week at a conference and with a sea of kind of C-suite executives. And one of the things I said is every one of you in this room need to spend more time in stores. And because the idea that all of the best ideas come from the store is 100% true and that they will give you all the feedback you need to know about product, about culture, about training, about everything you need to know comes from the largest population. Probably 80% of your workforce on average is your field workforce and that they have all the answers to the test, but they want to see you. And they, it's great to do a town hall on Zoom, and I've done many of them. But the, there's nothing more powerful than an executive team who visits several locations on a tour, but more importantly, sits and listens authentically, doesn't speak, lets the team share what they need to know, goes back to the office, has a, a quick huddle and says, this is what we need to fix, and we need to fix it tomorrow. And then you go back, same, maybe it's the Zoom town hall again of like, thank you so much for all that feedback. This is what we're going to do differently now as a company based on what we heard. And what I would tell you is there isn't a retail team who wouldn't then dig in and say, this is the best place to work. The CEO of a company came and visited 
fix something that we said that translates into retention beyond belief, more than the dollar that they got on their annual review. And the more that all of us that sit in those seats can do that um, and be in stores, for sure that there's, there's a lot of texting and there's a lot of Zoom calls and there's a lot, but we have to be in stores. And there's no reason now why we can't. Well, and I think so many times, you know, people do a walk through of the store and it's like, everything's fine, right? Everything's fine. Yeah, everything's fine. And so they spent maybe five minutes talking to the manager, right? Whereas the assist, assistant or the associate doesn't really get that time. And without that two-way street, it can certainly feel like you're more of a cog than a partner in success, right? Agreed, very much. And it's, I, I know, I, I've heard your point of view about, about Gap and where they sit today and I... I have controversy because I work for the, the largest amount of my adult career has been spent at Gap Inc. Um, in multiple brands, from Intermix to Banana to Outlet to Gap. But when it was good, it was really good. And But I would say on the flip side, I've been the receiver of a visit like that, of an entourage from a private jet that where we spent a week of overnights folding denim and merchandising the store and came in, took the store manager out to lunch, which was not me, and came back and waved and left. And it felt horrible. And I never wanted to, when I, I knew then of like, when I have that job, that is not how I'm going to leave because this is how I feel right now. It feels pretty terrible. That is excellent. Well, we're going to continue in just a minute, but I want to talk about our sponsor, Core Logic. Millennials and shoppers alike have many options when it comes to retail shopping. Competition is fierce, and CoreLogic wants to make sure your business is front and center of the transaction. Robust property data gives retailers of any size a competitive edge with a clear 360-degree customer view and a deeper level of insights into their targeted audience. Retail marketers can use CoreLogic's trusted property data to build a successful customer loyalty experience. By identifying new customers and uncovering accurate marketing insights, CoreLogic will help your business thrive. Learn more at corelogic.com find. And we're back talking retail pride with Ron Thurston. So how can a manager help a part-timer have retail pride? Because mm -hmm. part-timers to me are the Trojan horse many times. People don't realize if I'm only working two days a week for four hours, I can certainly be a lot more to your detriment than to your assets. So what, yeah. what, do you, what tips do you have for a manager listening to us today, Ron? So I, I think... Every everyone on the team adds value in unique ways. You have to discover what that value is. So have devote time. You say maybe they work two days a week and eight at four hours each. Spend at least fifteen minutes of that eight hours, maybe even thirty, having one on one conversations. Because those part time workers that come in and they end up being like the closing ship, the tasks, the you know, you get to clean out the fitting rooms, you name it, that's that job. No wonder that they don't stay. Instead, it's like, I'm so glad you're here tonight. We've had a really busy day. But first, I want to just check in and see how, how you are and see how you feel about working here. And what other, like, what are your goals? What are you studying? What do you want to do? And let me help you get there. Because I do think you're right. We've treated that as a disposable role, that there's multiple... and 
And what we're facing today is kind of the consequence of that. So all of a sudden, what you thought was disposable is actually critical because now you can't open your store more than a single shift, which we're already seeing malls are most of not even back to full operating hours because they can't. And so that, that disposable employee base that kept the doors open from seven to nine when that person came after their full-time job is now missing and you can't open the store. And so now we have to go back and say, what are we going to do to make sure that, that, that they feel important and relevant? And that starts with a conversation. It does start with a conversation. I've seen so many flyers taped to windows, you know, uh, we're hiring and we'll help you meet your career goals. And, and then I go in the store and it's like untrained employees who are looking into their phones. I'm like, why would you work here? It's not a body issue. You can yep. get more, you know, I remember I worked at Santa Monica Place uh, Mall. You're probably familiar with that. Oh, and sure. I, I took over the store and I ended up getting rid of half the crew and we had the best month ever. We only had four. I did that once, one month, and you can do that one month. But when you're doing that, you're backfilling and realizing, okay, I still need it. I was talking to a luxury brand. They're telling me, oh, our stores are supposed to work on 15. They're working on five. And I said, do you realize that it's not going to suddenly get easier in January? You know, the, the issues that are fundamentally reshaping America are that a lot of people don't want to work that late in their careers. The boomers have left and the younger people are not backfilling it with hustle and wanting to come into retail. They're going to buy a white labeled brand online and try to resell it for some money and and be entrepreneurs. But that's a real shame because all of the things that you could teach somebody of a business to to your history, you can learn through retail, right? You absolutely can. And that's what we, I think we have not given that significant group of pop, of, of, of the population language to use about how to describe their work. And so I, I've encouraged them to say, don't sit in front of me and tell me, well, I just sort of did this part-time while I did something else, or I did this on the side. Like you worked in a multi-million dollar business. You learned how to sell. You learned about store operations, loss prevention. You learned about visual merchandising. You learned POS, cash management. You learned you know, how to work on a team how to navigate dysfunction on a team. Like I can give you 20 more. So don't, don't just sit here and say, this was a part-time gig. Said so, like, I love that. let's let, let's be intentional with the words that we use and say, I work part-time retail and this is what I gained from it. And because of those skills, now I'm ready to take on a corporate role, you know, something that's maybe more related to their degree, but I don't think we've given them the language to use and the pride. So, so if you sit and, and pridefully say, these are all the things I learned by working part-time at The Gap. I don't know a hiring manager that wouldn't be blown away by that conversation. And, be and ready it starts for with it. the hiring Basically, manager the way talking. they talk about the position too, right? It starts with the way that they talk about it. It's just a part-time job, you know, checking in, checking out, whatever, right? Yep. Well, I, I don't want to lose a few more questions I have for you, Ron. So can you give me a time you were scared by a change you had to make with your crew and how you overcame it? Mm. Scared is an interesting word because I would say April 2020, I was probably the most scared as a leader I've ever been. And that, that's not unique to me, but I think everyone that led retail in 2020 
had a scary moment of like, I don't know what's going to happen. And I will never forget, you know, those calls, the Zoom call where I had to put 400 people on furlough and say, my only intention is to work as hard as I can to get every store back open and get you back to work. And that was, you know, one of those moments. It was myself, a director of store ops, you know, a kind of head of HR, you know, a handful stayed and we had to put everyone else on furlough. And that was, you know, a, a gap ink decision. Not all brands did that. A lot of brands figured out how to pay their people. We didn't. And, but what I, and I couldn't change that decision because that was bigger than me. But what I could change is how did it make them feel and trust that their commitment to stay and wait for me to get the store back open was fully intact. And, you know, as states started to reopen and things happened, 100% of stores reopened, 100% of people came back, you know, some faster than others. But I, I do remember that. And I remember being scared of like, I hope I can keep my promise. Well, that's a great story for us, Ron, because I think an awful lot of people got scared and then didn't have that communication and they're reaping the consequences because the employees felt disposable and they said, I don't want to do that again, regardless of their intentions. What they remember is the feeling, right? So, um, well, we're coming to the end of our time here. What do you have planned for 2022? Oh, thanks, Bob. I'd love to talk about this because I think you and I are going to align on this really well. So I am leaving New York City in an Airstream trailer spring, probably February, March of 2022, to go on a tour that I'm calling Retail in America that is about like the stories of what is happening in stores all over this country outside of the big American city. And that will be probably my own podcast and YouTube channel and a lot of other things, maybe some generous sponsors, and make this a really big deal about what's happening in retail and the people doing that work, which I know you love, you know, every day. That's what you do. And so this will be, I think, a really great opportunity to showcase their stories. I'm kind of calling it the journey to discover the unsung retail heroes. That's beautiful. I love that. Thank you. Um, It's going to be a lot of fun. I have never really done camping. I've really never driven a F-250 truck. Doesn't matter. I'm going to figure it out and make this happen and spend all of 2022 on the road. Well, at least you're doing it in Airstream, which is classy. So, you know, at least you look good. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if I'm going to be on camera that much, you know, you got to have a good backdrop. (laughs) Well, that's fabulous. And to close our our episode here, tell me something good about retail. It's every single person who has made the choice to commit to a life of service is what's good about retail. And that is a powerful place to think, is that I've chosen a life of, of service. And that sounds very dramatic, but it's true. You're in service to the customer. You're in service to each other to the brands you work for. And I find it so empowering to say that that is the choice that you've made. And that's what's great about retail. And people that do it, they, don't may, they may not use that word, but it's how they live their life. 
I love that idea. And the service to each other is is the key that makes the team. And when you go into a store, you can feel that when they're doing it well. And I think, unfortunately, too often when we see people on their phones, it's just a, a red flag that says, I don't feel that, and I would love to be out of here. But I don't want to be out of here. But our time is up today, Ron. I really appreciate oh. you joining us. And I'm expecting great videos from the Airstream in 2022. <laughs> you will see them. Yeah, we should. There's a lot you and I can do together. So maybe more to come. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Ron. Thank you, Bob. You've been listening to Tell Me Something Good About Retail with Bob Fibbs, the retail doctor. As a listener, you can receive free information and guides when you visit retaildoc.com and sign up for our exclusive weekly newsletter. Thanks for being with us. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. To virtually bring Bob to all of your crew and associates, check out www.salesrx.com. 